We're coming and continuing our journey through the book of Esther. This is Esther part four and parts one, two, and three are online, of course. And we had a break last week. I hope you enjoyed uh, Pastor John O'Turner coming in and uh, our preaching, but we're back into it to, uh, today. And again, one of the reasons I'm preaching this is because I love hearing people's stories. Jesus was a parable teller. He told stories. This is not a parable. This is an event. But there's something powerful about stories to be able to shift things and uh, help us understand a, a principle and things of the kingdom in the telling of stories. But I love hearing people's stories and how they persevered through tough times and came out on top. And Esther's one of those stories, the story of a brave young Hebrew woman who manages to do that. And she takes a stand and really takes on a enemy of her people, a crooked tyrant. And she, through the grace and help of God, triumphs over him. And so uh, my prayer is, as we're going through this, there, there will be things in this story that will help you in your story uh, as you seek to walk out and journey with him as you follow him in these crazy times that we are living in. And so we finished last time, or the last time I preached, with a standoff, a, a standoff between Mordecai, Esther's adopted dad, for, one of a better, for want of a better term, and the villain of the story, Haman the Horrible. That's what I'm going to call him. And I want to take a few moments, if I may, to read a good portion of chapter 3 so we can again get the context of the story, what's happening. And from there, I will share a few thoughts. So Esther chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Some time later, sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agai, making him the highest ranking official in the government. Now, when I'm reading this, I'm just telling you, I have cut portions of this out, but I'm just ca capturing the uh, uh, part of the story or the general part of the story. And if so, just for the sake of time, I've taken certain little bits out, but the story follows along. All the king's servant, I keep getting Humpty Dumpty when that comes in, all the... <laughs> <laughs> all the king's servants and all the king's men, they can figure out Haman again. But it says, all the king's servants at the king's gate used to honor him by bowing down and kneeling before Haman. That's what the king had commanded, except Mordecai. There's always one. I challenge you, be the one. Except Mordecai. Mordecai wouldn't do it. He wouldn't bow down and Neil, when Haman saw for himself that Mordecai didn't bow down and kneel before him, he was outraged. And it goes on to say that when Haman learned that Mordecai was a Jew, Haman hated to waste his fury on just one Jew. Boy, that's happened throughout history. He looked for a way to eliminate not just Mordecai, but all Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. And so then it tells us, in the first month, the month of Nisan, of the twelfth year of Xerxes, the poor, that is the lot, was cast, was cast under Haman's charge to determine a propitious day and month. The lot turned up the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Haman then spoke with King Xerxes. There is an odd set of people, he said. 
There is an odd set of people scattered throughout your kingdom. They are an affront. The king shouldn't put up with them. If it please the king, let orders be given that they be destroyed. I'll pay for it myself. I'll deposit 375 tons of silver in the royal bank to finance the operation. The king slipped his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman. Go ahead, the king said to Haman. It's your money. Do whatever you want with those people. And so from there, it tells us that bulletins were sent out by couriers to all the king's provinces provinces, with orders to massacre, kill, and eliminate all Jews, youngsters and old men, women and babies. On a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and then go on and plunder their goods. At the king's command, the couriers today, the couriers, sorry, took off and the order was posted, the old-fashioned way, on a post, not on a Facebook or Instagram. But it was posted in the palace complex of Susa as well. The king and Haman sat back, had made the decree, they sat back, and had a drink while the city of Susa reeled from the news. So let's dive in and learn some things. And I'm going to go through the first three points real fast and going to stay a little bit longer on the last two points that I want to, want to give. But chapter 3 starts off with the words, sometime later, just like chapter 2 did. Sometime later. How much Later, again, I want to touch on the tale's timeline to give context and perspective of the distance that we're talking about here. Because remember, although the story reads like it's going from one event to the other, in reality, it is not. In reality, there are long periods of just, listen, normal, ordinary, nothing much happening, days, not just days, weeks, not just weeks, but years of that. Which is kind of comforting for me because it reminds me of my life. That is not, and I just want to say of your life today, your life is not going to be always an action-packed thriller going for a moment. Have you ever had any ordinary, normal days? Some of you might be going through stuff like now and going, I wish I could just have some ordinary, normal days. But I find that comforting. And so we read this about the, the sometime... Later, as we've already seen in part two, I think it was, but in chapter one, that took place in the third year of King Xerxes' reign. Chapter two was in the seventh year of King Xerxes' reign, so that was a four-year gap between chapter one and two. And we now find that chapter three is in the twelfth year of King Xerxes' reign. How do we know that? Because it tells us in Esther chapter three, verse seven, in the first month, the month of Nisan, of the twelfth year of Xerxes, the poor, that is the lot, was cast. It was in the 12th year. Now that's important to understand the context because if you just read the story, it'll appear like we're talking about, hey, he just got married to Esther and all this stuff's breaking out. But five years, that she, Esther had been queen five years by the time Haman became the most famous person apart from King Xerxes in the land. So they'd been married for five years. The second thing I want you to notice, again, that's the first thing. The second thing, point number two, is to notice the hidden theme also is continuing. You know, we've talked about the fact that if you remember in the book of Esther, 
Number one, God is hidden. You can't, there's no mention of God. There's no mention of him anywhere. The second thing is that Esther's nationality is hidden. Mordecai said, don't tell people, when you go to the palace, don't tell people you're a Jew. Don't let them know your nationality. It was hidden. And now we find in this chapter, Haman the horrible hides who the people are. He wants to destroy, crush, kill, and eliminate. He doesn't tell the king who it is. Haman, in Esther chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Haman then spoke with King Xerxes. There is an odd set of people, a strange bunch. There is an odd set of people scattered throughout your kingdom. He hides who those people are. So the hidden theme continues in the book of Esther. We also see that Haman, this is point number three, selects a day for the Jews to die. Haman seeks an auspicious day, the best day. And it doesn't tell us who he sought that after, whether he went to the astrologers or, uh, you know, it was a pagan land, what and how he figured that out. But he, it tells us, casts a lot. He decides the day by the casting of a lot. And they did this in many different ways. When you ask the question, what is a lot like? It's much like if you like gambling or throwing a dice. Which, how will it come out? How's it going to work out? What are the odds? What's the best day? And that's what he did to figure out what day is the most auspicious day to take out the Jews. That is what he did. In Esther 3, verse 7, it says, In the first month, the month of Nisan, of the twelfth year of Xerxes, the poor, that is, the lot, was cast. Now, a little aside. We've been talking about this all the way through. Remember, this whole book comes and develops the whole theme of the Feast of Purim, which is one of the most, I guess, holy days in the Jewish calendar. It's a day where you must have fun. You must, uh, uh, you know, we won't go into it, but, you know, we've, we've talked about it. But this is where the name comes from. It comes from Purim, meaning the lot. The meaning this is a book. When you talk about Esther and the theme through it, it's a book of coincidences. Because remember, there's no mention of God in it. And when you see it, it looks like these coincidences are happening. And, and again, sometimes the dice is rolled and it comes up for you. But on this occasion, the dice is rolled and it comes up against you. It seems to be like a book of, of coincidences. And as you see, as, or even could I say, dear, I say it in church, a book of luck. Because in the end, the dice was rolled and they came out on top. But not this time. So the, the lot was cast. The Pur, from which we get Purim, was cast. Like the roll of the dice. Of course, they win in the end. But here, in this role, in this lot, a day was picked for them to die. And notice uh, about the day that was set. It says uh, that they cast the lot in the first month and that the sentence was to be carried out in the 12th month. Uh, so that gives 11 months of waiting. For the Jewish people, for their destruction. 11 months, just hang around, relax guys. You've got 11 months, 
I'm going to kill you. Can you imagine the stress and the pressure and the torment and the anxiety? You think you got anxiety today? I, I think this would have created a little anxiety in the hearts of those of the Jewish people. They had 11 months to think about their destruction. And why did this start? All of this started because Mordecai wouldn't bow. He, he just wouldn't do it. Mordecai wouldn't bow, but why wouldn't he bow? And why did Haman get so angry? Well, the fact is there is one reason and one reason only, and it's simply this. Esther and Mordecai, please understand, are descendants of the tribe of Benjamin, from which a well-known king came, King Saul. Haman was an Agite. It tells us that in Esther chapter 3, verse 1. He was a descendant, in other words, of the Amalekites. There are many ites in the Bible. You know there's the Canaanites and the, all, all kinds of ites. Mosquito bites. No, that's humor. But then you see all these ites in the Bible. But here we have the Amalekites. And Haman was a descendant of the Amalekites. And if you remember, or know portions of, of your Bible, you remember that that King Saul uh, took on the Amalekites and was to wipe them out. He was to take them. They were like the arch enemy of the Israelites. The Amalekites were, as you, if you know the story, were supposed to be wiped out, but they weren't. Saul didn't do it. He didn't obey. And because of Saul's reluctancy, reluctancy to do so, the fact cost him the throne of Israel, 1 Samuel 15 verse 8, Saul took Agad, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agad and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So we can see in this passage, King Saul's disobedience is now coming back to destroy his de descendants. Because of his disobedience, that which he had not done is now coming back to haunt his descendants through the descendants of the Amalekites. And so a little lesson here, when you don't obey God, if you don't do what God says, it can not only affect you, but I want to tell you, it can affect your future generations. And so the feud with the Amalekites, that was pretty bad, but it goes back even further than that. It goes back actually to the book of Exodus. When the Israelites left Egypt to escape the slavery of the Egyptian people, when they were out and released and took off and they crossed the Red Sea, you'll be aware that the Amalekites were the first bunch of people to attack the Israelite people. Here they were trying to make their way through the wilderness and the Amalekites attacked them, took them on. You'll know that or be familiar with the story in Exodus chapter 17. Joshua and his army were fighting in the valley and you remember Aaron and Hur, they were up on the hill and it tells us as long as his hands and his staff were raised, they would 
persevere in the, in the battle. As long as the, 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 the hand was up, they would persevere in the battle. As, as Moses dropped his hands, then the Amalekites would persevere. And so Aaron and Hur came along and they, they, they held up his hands and they won the victory. They won the, won the battle. So we're going to understand when we're talking about the bad blood here, this bad blood goes a long, long way back. A long way back. And so that is why Haman is so bitter and so twisted that he even offers to pay for Operation Elimination. So I'll pay for it. It's a three verse nine. If it please the king, let orders be given that they be destroyed. I'll pay for it myself. I'll deposit 375 tons of silver. How many know that's a lot of silver? In fact, I think um, in just some of the study material I read, that's like two thirds of the country's GDP at the time. How would he do it? Through plunder. It's not that he had to pay it. He was offering to pay it. He's like, this is such an important Mission. I'll deposit 375 tons of silver in the Royal Bank to finance the operation. The king slipped off his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agite, arch enemy of the Jews. Now understand this. Giving Haman the signet ring is like the king giving Haman the palace's visa card. It's like, do what you want. Sky's the limit. Don't worry about it. Whatever's got to be done, you just do it. Esther 3 verse 11. Do whatever you want with those odd people. Which leads me to point number four. And this is where I'm going to spend a bit of time. Bitterness is bad. When we think about bitterness of, of Haman, it's amazing how bitterness and unforgiveness, how hate can escalate into acts of violence and destruction. I want to tell you, we're living in a day. We're living in a day where the political divide is moving further and further apart, where the discourse is becoming more and more extreme and more and more hostile, where divisions and Things are getting deeper and deeper. When I was growing up, you could be a part of any political party. People didn't care. In fact, you didn't talk about it. You never mentioned it. Might say a little bit of joke, but we are living in a time where, where what you can think about something can create such a divide These are the days we're we're living in. And it's getting worse. And we'll get worse if we're not careful. Hebrews 12 verse 15 says, See to it. See to it that no one misses the grace of God, even those who don't vote like you do. Even those who are on the other side of the political, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root 
grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It's often not what happens to you, but what happens in you that can affect how you deal with life's challenges. My goodness, in these days, are we not living with some challenges? But life's biggest battles are internal. They're not external. I mean, often we can't help what happens to us, but we can, we can help how we respond to that. And I want to say today that bitterness is one of those internal things that if we allow it to take hold, it can radically alter the course of one's life outcome. Right now, Proverbs 14 verse 10 tells us each heart knows its own bitterness. Each heart knows its own bitterness. I want to ask you today, what's in your heart? Not just from, you know, it could be, I, I don't know, I'm not just talking about now. I, I, I mean right now. In the sense, what's in your heart? Maybe, maybe from 20 minutes ago or maybe from 20 years ago. What's in your heart? Because odds are with a room this side, there will be people in here who will have stuff that happened 20 years ago. That person said this thing or my mom or my dad did this to me or something that happened that you are still living today and it's, it's become a part of your life. Each heart knows its own bitterness. You know. Even now as I'm speaking, things are coming up. Yeah, that. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on certain things. You were at school that time, and remember, that person said, in fact, you know, we've been dedicating babies today. I, I, I know that when you're looking for children's names, and you might, someone might come and say, hey, have you thought about this name? And, and you know what happens? You go, heck No. Why, why, what's wrong? There's a, there's a cool name. No, because that person, that name takes you back to that kid who picked on you in school and there's no way I'm naming my kid that name. Names are powerful. Names do hurt you. Yeah, sticks and stones, they can break your bones and I, I, I wanna tell you, just to be honest, names do hurt you. They really do. And so we can go back and we take those, the, the, those, those moments that might be from 20 minutes ago. Maybe the usher didn't say hello as you came in, or, but it could be 20, 30 years ago. And I want to just say today, holding a grudge or unforgiveness, we need to see to it and deal to it. We really do. And, and don't think it's just, maybe you've been in church for, the, church for a long time. Doesn't matter. I told you just a few weeks ago, there was a lady, elderly lady in Masterton in one of our churches there. On the day she had an altar experience, she came carrying stuff from years and years, came up and, if you like, laid it down on the altar, said, Lord, I'd be carrying this stuff, this unforgiveness, this bitterness, and laid it all down. And that afternoon, she was hit by a car. This is just a few weeks ago. It's in the newspaper. It's on stuff. You can search it. 
It tells the story how she got right. Friends, we've got to get right. Don't carry this stuff. Because here's what it does. From this scripture, we can, learn, we can learn three things about bitterness from the scripture in Hebrew. Number one, it grows. You ever tried to move a tree, old tree stump? I told Anita, can you move this old tree stump? No, she can. She wouldn't do it. Don't get bitter. But you ever tried to move it? It's not easy, right? Because the roots go down deep. I remember one time Anita told me to move these grasses that we'd planted. They're only little when we planted them and everything usually kind of starts off little, but they grew and they grew and they grew. And she's like, can you move them? And I was like, I could not move them. Why? Because the roots are tangled and deep and they've gone into the ground. It took me 15 minutes to move them. But eventually I could move them after a lot of hard hard work and then Anita she split them all up and replanted them again and I'm not moving them the second <laughs> she replanted them again but what happened the pukakos came along I hate pukakos they came along and they pulled them all out why because the, the roots weren't deep but the longer you leave something the deeper the roots grow they grow That's why we need to keep short accounts. That's why we don't let bitterness take hold because, because if we do, it's harder to deal with. The second thing it does is it causes trouble. It causes trouble. Second Kings 19 verse 30. Once more, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. The principle being there, what takes root below will bear fruit above. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He said in 15, verse 11, not that which goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but that which comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. In other words, it's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. What's in you will come out. Our daughter Grace is... Yesterday I was at her house and she made some lemonade by squeezing some lemons. And she had to add a lot of sugar, I can tell you that. But she squeezed the lemons to make the lemonade. But if you take a lemon and you squeeze it, what comes out? Lemon juice. If you're squeezed, what comes out? And that person pulls in front of you in traffic, what comes out? you're squeezed what comes out of you and here's the third thing it defiles many bitterness will defile many it contaminates it taints it sullies other and not only that it doesn't just contaminate you others are affected by it it colors how they see things but but in all honesty, the person who it really and mostly affects, the person who it really mostly defiles, is you. If you're carrying bitterness and hurt and unforgiveness, it will defile you, most of all. I remember a person writing to me to ask forgiveness. I've, have these notes, I don't know who they are, I can't remember their name, which is good. 
But I remember this person writing to me, and here's what they wrote, Dear Adam, I'm writing to ask your forgiveness. I had a seed of hate, a root of bitterness, and anger towards you all, not just me, but the whole church. And it was my pride that was hurt. I pray that you will for, forgive me. Every now and then I get letters like this. I pray that you will forgive me, and I will pray that God blesses you all. Thank you very much. When I got this letter, for me, I was like, oh, okay. The strange thing is for, for me, as far as I can remember, remember I, I've never had an argument with that person. I've never had a dispute with that person or even a disagreement over anything. In fact, I have no bad memories of that person at all. In fact, I was blissfully unaware of this person that they were feeling like this. For all those years, I didn't know. See, the truth is the, the bitterness defiles, holds captive, and contaminates mostly the one who is carrying the bitterness. That's why Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 says, get rid of all bitterness. Oh, I want to encourage you today, church. Get rid of bitterness. If you're carrying unforgiveness, get rid of it. The reality is Jesus forgave you. you. You should be holding on to nothing. Get rid of all bitterness. Roots grow. Roots feed the plant. What's feeding you? Because I will tell you, bitterness will. It'll feed you. Ephesians 5, 17 says, I pray and I pray this for us today. I pray that you being rooted and established in what? In love. That's what we should be rooted in. Colossians 2 verse 7 says we are to be rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith. That's what we're to be rooted in, in Him. In bitterness. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Not bitterness. Don't let bitterness and unforgiveness rule and ruin you. Haman's bitterness was going to amount to the death of multiplied thousands. The destruction of an entire people. And when we think about who, who would do this, who would kill men, women, and children, even babies, who could do such a thing? We do. We do. As a nation, we have to face the fact that we do have one of the most extreme abortion laws in the world. And I want to be sensitive here because I realize there'll be some possibly listening here or watching online. And that's a part of your journey. That's a part of your story. And I want to let you know that there is grace and there is mercy And I know there may be even some in this room who will say this. Pastor, it's not a baby, it's a fetus. Before you say it's not a baby, I want to show you something. Something that was handed to me a few weeks ago. This is baby Eve. Baby Eve is a 
model of a 20-week year old baby in weight in height and in look with a heartbeat, toes and fingernails sucks its thumb smiles, has hiccups this is not a blob of cells this is not a health problem to be removed this is a baby this is a baby and now in this nation on demand baby Eve's life can be taken I want to tell you kings and queens and rulers can make decrees and sit back and have a drink and relax as if nothing happened while the rest of the nation will reel where the heart of God will be burdened friend I want to tell you today it doesn't matter what the law says this is not okay and this will never be okay please understand the only difference between this baby surviving or not surviving in a normal situation is whether they are wanted or not something needs to be done who would do such a thing we do as a nation I had stir and challenge our heart I can't it's interesting Helen prayed as we were getting ready for the service Lord may something out of the box come for us today well I pray that's stirred our heart if nothing else has to think about the situations we as a nation are dealing with Haman and the king sat back and drank while the nation reeled something needed to be done and it fell to Esther to do it what did she do come back next week and find out as we close I want to remind us today there is a prayer station over here if you need prayer for anything please take a moment go there there'll be people there who will pray for you for anything big and small but can I ask you to stand right now just as we close I want to make sure in this moment maybe you've been carrying stuff for 20 years or 20 minutes or 20 days would you even in this moment just say, God, I let that go now. I forgive that person. I forgive this one. I forgive that one. I, I, I forgive that person at school or whatever who said that to me. The, the, the names that have so gripped my heart, I, I release that right now. I, for, I forgive them. Why? Because Christ forgave me. And who am I to hold on to anything? Who am I who have been forgiven so much? to hold on to anything. Today I forgive, I let it go. 
that's you and God's Holy Spirit has put His hand on anything, let it go right now. In Jesus' name, we forgive. In Jesus' name. As we finish with the each week we pronounce the blessing, but we're going to sing it today over us and over our children and our children's children. Let's sing. Lord bless you and keep you Make his face shine upon and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And Hey. 